This is episode number 351. Are you taking care of your brain? With Edward Park and Travis Macy. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being, and I'm your host, Sonia. And if you're new around here, I am a world and multi-time national champion in mountain biking, and I still race professionally. I'm a health and mental performance coach, a writer, a mom of two little kids, and I own my own business. And if you're not new around here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're back, and I'm so grateful that you are part of this awesome community and that we get to learn and grow together. The Cleveland Clinic came out with the concept called the six pillars, right? And one of them is diet and nutrition, which we've, we've discussed a little bit here, right? And you're talking about the other five. And these six pillars of brain health are, are things that people should really keep track of from the standpoint of reducing risk for, for cognitive decline and, and disease later. And it's a big deal because a lot of people don't think about taking care of their brains like they do their heart, like they do their their skin, right? We want to look good, all that's, you know, things like that. You know, our muscles, you know. The, so taking care of the brain is important, so they create this framework. Diet nutrition is one. Exercise is the second one. So exercise is big. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of research on that in that area uh, as far as being neuroprotective. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by Prevenex, whose mission is to create health. Prevenex makes the highest quality multivitamins and supplements that are pharmaceutical grade and research-backed. A key part of my daily routine is taking their multivitamin. I'd never miss it. Since switching to Prevenex about six months ago, I have had the most steady energy and best health and best energy for my training. I also take their Joint Health Plus, and despite adding in a lot of mileage for running and trail running, I have not had any joint issues. Not only does Prevenex make the highest quality supplements that you can get, but they are a mission-driven company. I became fast friends with the CEO and founder of Prevenex, David Block, and he's also been a podcast guest where we talked about identity, remaining flexible as you carve your path, what it means to live a values-based life, and everything that you want to know about supplements and vitamins, including why they have such high percentages. So you can check that out in the show notes. So back to Prevenex being a mission-driven company. Did you know that 3.1 million children under the age of five die each year due to malnutrition? And it is the leading cause of death for children in this age group. And 45% of these deaths are caused by poor nutrition, not hunger, which means these children are not receiving adequate vitamins, minerals, and nutrients. So Prevenex has taken action, and for every purchase you make, they provide a bottle of vitamins to a child in need. So if you've gotten out of the habit of taking your multivitamin, or maybe the one you're taking just isn't doing it for you anymore, or you want to try some of their other very impactful products, go to Prevenex.com. And use the code SONIA15 to get 15% off your first order. They also stand behind their products and have a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if for some weird reason you don't feel the benefits that I have felt, then you can get your money back. And again, go to Prevenex.com, P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com, and use the code SONIA15 to get 15% off your first order. When we think about health, we don't always think about brain health. We don't always fully understand how what we're doing is affecting it. It's sort of out of sight, out of mind. In this week's episode, I co-hosted it with friend and fellow podcaster, Travis Macy, and we talked to Dr. Edward Park, the founder of Neuro Reserve, about the things we can do proactively to improve brain health and potentially delay cognitive decline. 
Dr. Park is the founder and president of NeuroReserve with over 15 years of experience in the research and development of biopharmaceuticals, medical devices, and nutritional therapeutics. He's been inspired by his experiences with his father's struggles with Parkinson's disease and dementia. And Travis, well, if you've listened to this podcast, you probably are now familiar with Travis Macy, who I've done several collaborations with. He's a good friend, a two-time author, and a world-class endurance champion across many disciplines, including adventure racing, 100-mile trail running races like Leadville and Leadman. He's a Colorado snowshoe champion many times over, ski mountaineering, and even burrow racy. Burrow racing. That's funny. Travis Macy and burrow racy. Burrow racing. You actually race with a donkey. That's something I got to try. Travis is also the host of the Travis Macy Show podcast. And if you've listened to the show, you've probably heard the episode that we recorded about his newest book, A Mile at a Time, where he chronicles his life experience with his dad as his hero, and then his dad getting diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's and then deciding to take on the eco challenge. Cognitive decline is something that I also have thought about a lot and is one of the reasons that I eat a plant-based diet. Today, you're going to learn a lot about brain health, mainly the six pillars of brain health and also how those relate to lifestyle medicine. You'll learn about how you can focus on slight tweaks to your diet so that you can optimize for your brain health. And we talked about what it's like to experience neurodegenerative diseases in a parent and how that is so common and sad for so many of us. If you're enjoying the podcast, please don't forget to leave us a quick review on podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Just leave us a five-star rating and even a comment if this is helping you and you think it can help others as that is the best way for the show to grow. And I'd also really appreciate it if you just shared the show with your friends, if it comes up in conversation so that all of these very important messages and highly expert guests can reach other people too. If you're enjoying the show and you want more than the podcast, I have a monthly newsletter that I send out at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter where I send out an article and the podcast that you might have missed. And I also am currently accepting coaching clients. So I offer mental performance coaching and also health and wellness coaching. You can see more details about that on my website. But if that is something that you are interested in, I would love to talk about potentially working with you. Areas of focus in my mental performance coaching are sustainable motivation, emotional intelligence and mindfulness, resilience and mental toughness, confidence, imposter syndrome, career changes, goal setting and optimal routines. And in my health and wellness coaching, we cover a lot of things, but people experience less burnout and overwhelm, better sleep and physical health, better nutrition, better productivity and creativity the ability to work through conflict and the confidence to take on challenges and trust yourself, how to develop a growth mindset and how to trust yourself because so many times we'll set a goal and then we don't do the thing that we said and then we lose trust in ourselves. One of the biggest takeaways from my health coaching clients is they don't realize that setting small goals and building upon them will bring so much confidence and so much change. So you can go to my website, use the contact form and I'd love to hear from you. All right, here is this great episode about brain health, and I'm excited for you to learn as much as I did. Hey, Sonia, Ed, uh, so great to be here with both of you. Uh, You are both health and wellness experts who know a whole lot more about this stuff than me. And uh, I'm just really honored to get to have this conversation about brain health and and really, you know, kind of what we can do to prevent and or slow down cognitive decline. So, um, Dr. Park, do you want to kick it off? 
It's a hard question, but I, I really believe, and I think probably Sonia does as well with her show and her work. Like when you have something hard, you just go into it head on. And and oftentimes talking about that very directly is, is the best way to approach it. So tell us your story with your family and uh, cognitive decline, dementia, et cetera. Yeah. Well, Travis, first of all, thanks. Thanks so much for having me on your show. I mean, it's great. It's great to be here. Great to be with you, Sonia. And uh, looking really looking forward to your thoughts on on everything that we speak about today when, when it comes to especially plant-based nutrition, things like that. And especially, uh, Travis, you're getting more into and obviously just really advocating really strongly for the Alzheimer's community out there, you know, with the release of your new book, uh, One Mile at a Time, and, and everything associated with it. So just great awareness being built there. My name's Ed Park. I'm the founder of NeuroReserve. And NeuroReserve is a preventive nutrition company that's focused in brain health and particularly brain health as people age. So, uh, you know, I founded the company after many, many years in pharmaceutical R&D. And but uh, the main reason uh, for founding it was really uh, my own family experience, which, you know, we can get into a little bit. But what, given all the whole experience and 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 putting together the the, the concept for for what I wanted to do in the field, really wanted to help prevent uh, create a new preventive standard of care. We can call it a standard of care, a new a new preventive standard of care for uh, neurodegenerative diseases. And I think as we talk more today, we'll we'll see that that's been happening in a lot of different places and a lot of different areas of, of research. And, and it's going to all start coming together over these next 10 years. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced of that. And so nutrition is going to be a big piece of it. So when I was a, when I was a teenager, my father was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And that is a neurodegenerative disease, similar in respects to Alzheimer's. There's a lot of crossover. And when, when people talk about neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, like Parkinson's, like Lewy body dementia, like frontotemporal dementia, they all fall under this big umbrella called dementia, right? And they all have this crossover. It's, it's, it, nobody ever really has a pure type of dementia, right? They're all kind of a mix of a lot of things. But my father was diagnosed with Parkinson's at the age of 48. That's primarily at the beginning of movement disorder where there's lots of tremors, but it eventually, you know, turns into cognitive decline. And then what it converted to for my father was Lewy body dementia. And uh, and Lewy body dementia and cognitive decline combined with that, you know, obviously led to a place where my mother was taking care of him uh, pretty much it pretty much full time, and, and obviously you know he couldn't work anymore. And and forty eight is a really young age to get diagnosed for these sorts of diseases, so that was just devastating. I mean that that was a tough experience. Uh, there 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 weren't as many resources back back then. It, it was like uh, the early nineties, mm. <laughs> so so I mean it's. There was really nothing. I mean, no, nobody knew anything about Louis body dementia, quite frankly, other than, you know, there's just a whole bunch of hallucinations, a whole bunch of uh, really real hallucinations, like very vivid that people would be coming into the house. They're up in the attic. Wow. Um, my, my father would be just absolutely 110% convinced, you know, there are people looking in the windows in our house, like kind of like, you know, running around the outside trying to get in. Right. Yep. And, uh, and of course, we as a family didn't know how to deal with it very well we just kind of said oh no trying to convince them they're not there right but that just created more agitation and and, and yeah. it just it got worse and worse from there so you can imagine and that combined with cognitive decline and you, know, you, you can imagine the stress that you know my mother was under 
you know, I went to college nearby and I was back and forth. Um, but then I went out east for, for grad school. And mm -hmm. then, you know, we we're flying back and forth a lot, you know, especially as my father came uh, near to the end of his battle, you know, and that was after 19 years, he passed away yep. at 67. So that's a, there's no other reason why we're talking here yeah. <laughs> on this, on this podcast, other than that shared experience of, of watching, uh, like kind of going through it with our families, seeing, seeing the whole evolution take place uh, and understanding what really the stakes are for brain health and, and how it impacts the whole family. This is not just emotional. It's, it's psychological. I'll carry a lot of this with me throughout my life. Uh, also financial. I mean, that thing just, you know, it, it had yeah. a huge toll on family finances and things yeah. like that, you know, so yeah. every, a lot of people have the same story. So I, and there's nothing too unique about me. It's just, I'm just kind of voicing out what my family's been through. So. Well, thank you for sharing that, Dr. Park. And it really, I mean, that hits home for me personally. My grandmother was diagnosed with Parkinson's when I was a teenager and and ended up moving in that same direction. And again, I this was more from afar. I was in high school and then in college. But, you know, I remember just hearing these stories about her being terrified that there were lizards on the wall. And, you know, like a, just a lot of fe fear is the main word that, that comes to mind. And, and your story is also reminding me of... Uh, Dr. Cindy Weinstein, um, who's who's written a book, Finding the Right Words, that explores her journey with her dementia and her family, or, or similar kind of thing where she was away at college and, you know, her uh, at times escaping through academia. You know, here's something to focus on. Um, what are you do, looking? I mean, if I had to guess, like, gosh, as a teenager or college student, like, you probably didn't even know how this was impacting you. You know, you're making your way through, you're doing your best as a family. I mean, looking back, can you put a finger on ways that it, that it impacted you or, you know, um, I think did academia you know, like become an escape or, I mean, I, mean, I know for me, endurance athletics, sometimes I get way in and it's like, well, am, am I doing this? Cause I love it. Or cause I'm like, you know, getting away from you're able to yeah, hard, just separate or, yourself yeah, or a little like, bit of both. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And that's therapeutic to some extent, yeah, um, you well, know, obviously getting, getting, getting away and resetting. And, uh, you know, for me, it was, there was a lot of indirect, there were a lot of in, some direct effects immediately after, like when I was in high school, I was very immature. Um, there's a lot of shame involvement. Um, I didn't mm -hmm. want to tell any of my friends, things like that, you know, mm. didn't want to talk about it with anybody. You know, but as I as I went through a late you know, college and 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 going into my early work and all that things like that, yeah. you know, I um, started to realize that the caregiving aspect, which is so important, right, and what yep. my mother was doing uh, and what I could do, you know, when I was at home and things like that, were um, that's where a lot that's where so much that is the relationship, that is love, that is yeah. you know that's everything, right? So that's what it's all about, really, when it comes down to it. So. You know, in, indirectly, I mean, I, I went into pharmaceuticals, so mm -hmm. I, I kind of wanted it to go into like a field where I can kind of control, if you will, or kind mm -hmm. of like, you know, develop mm -hmm. stuff. But uh, I didn't want to touch anything in, in neurology. So that's a psychological impact, right? So I just didn't want to do anything there. I was freaked out. I didn't. Yeah. I, the only thing I did psychologically is I would go to the neurologist like every like six or months or so if I had a twitch in my finger or something like yeah. that and I'd be running over the, and just say, tell me I'm okay. Please tell me yeah. I'm okay. Do a workup on me, make yeah. me walk up and down the hall, you know, put those little like, you know, needle looking things on my like, you know, skin to see if I react yeah. to stuff like that, you know. And I know uh, the feeling, was, buddy. Yeah, you know, and they're like, okay, you're okay. Okay, you can go home now. And, and eventually like, 
as I transitioned into my forties, <laughs> so now I'm giving away a little of my age, like transitioning in my forties that, that, that I started having some, a lot of things started catching up with me actually. And diet was a big one. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I didn't have the best diet. I didn't pay much attention to my diet at all. I was, you know, um, I used to be a competitive swimmer. Mm. So I feel like, I mean, I'm not nowhere near the levels of like you and Sonia. I mean, Sonia, like, you know, mountain biking everywhere. Um, <laughs> you're like, you know, just running everywhere. <laughs> But like, uh, you know, I, I competitively swam. I feel like I did okay there, but my diet was was really bad. And I, it really caught up with me. I mean, it really caught up. I, there were there were a couple of different health issues that I had to work through in my in my just just when I turned 40. And that's bad. Sorry to interrupt. Can you say what you mean by when you say my diet was bad? Because I think that bad mm. is a subjective term. So just to define that. Oh, for yeah. Everybody. Yeah. I, well, I grew up on, a, you know, like I would eat spam a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. think about that for a second. Like, that would be like a the Monty Python. Thing. So, I mean, like that's how I, to me, that's like that, the levels of saturated fat. And, you know, it's just like, um, mm-hmm. it's just really bad on top of that. What I found out later, and this is where the diet comes into play as well, is that I, I found out I had a gluten allergy or a wheat allergy mm. and mm-hmm. I was just pounding away with the wheat, you know, like, you know, until I found out about it. And the only thing that was kind of brought, bring it, brought me to it is the fact that I had just massive fatigue. Like I would, I would have like a, think about your classic work lunch that's brought in. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, the, uh, the Caesar salad wrap. Right. <laughs> and so and the chicken Caesar salad wrap. Right. And it's got this big old thick wrap around it. And then whenever, and we would get that a lot. And whenever I, it was around like 2015, 2016, when I really started realizing what was happening and I'd have one and I would literally fall down face first. You know, on my, I, I could not stay awake. That's the way my body reacted to it, is I could not stay awake. I literally just pass out practically, you know? So I just really, this is all catching up with me, I felt. And then I found out later on that I had a, uh, what's it called? It's an autoimmune disorder called Hashimoto's disease. Uh, and so, and that, that's kind of like, a, you know, where your body kind of starts attacking its thyroid. Uh, this could have been due to the fact that there was a lot of, you know, chronic inflammation that was kind of like, you know, driven up. Due to you know food you know like like gluten things like that you know so yeah. so I think it's a combination of just l- way too much bad meats <laughs> and and also the fact that I was compounding problems on the gluten side just kind of, you know so yeah yeah and nowhere near as much nowhere near as much green leafy vegetables as I should be having so mm. nowhere near like, I think something like, important yeah. is that there's a lot of shame that people have about the way that they used to eat or even the way that they're eating now when they realize that there's potentially better ways to eat. So just, I think that's something Mm -hmm. for listeners to just think about, like it's, it's okay if you were eating a certain way and you either didn't know any better or that's just what you needed to do to survive. And it's how you move forward is what matters. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Just, just starting the little steps. Yeah. So on to that better Mm -hmm. way to eat, Sonia, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, listeners will hear this on my podcast, also on the Sonia Looney podcast, uh, highly recommended. Your listeners, on you're probably familiar with your discussions around plant-based eating, wellness, et cetera. Um, for those who aren't as familiar, like what do you what do you recommend? And I also know you've done a little bit of research on recently about uh, maybe plant-based diets as related to slowing or preventing cognitive decline. What uh, What should we know? Yeah. So I think first of all, when it comes to talking about a specific diet of any kind, it can be an inflammatory topic and labels. People don't want to wear a label. And, you know, so let's no just pun intended. All, inflammation. 
<laughs> yeah. So let's put all that out of our minds right now. And I think that we all know that eating a diet that is rich in fruits and vegetables and eating less saturated fats and processed foods is a healthy way to eat. I think that most people would agree with that. So for me, you know, I changed my diet to eating a plant-based diet about 10 years ago when I saw a documentary called Forks Over Knives, and it showed how plant-based diets greatly re reduce and even prevent or prevent and greatly reduce heart disease and high blood pressure and some types of cancers. And that was the first time that I ever linked, oh my gosh, the foods that I'm eating actually contribute to not just am I skinny or am I overweight or give me energy, but they actually can contribute to these diseases from our lifestyle habits. So that's why I started eating the way that I did. And the further down the rabbit hole I went, I started learning that, wow, eating plant plant-based or eating more plant-based actually can protect you from a ton of other things and Alzheimer's disease and some of these diseases of cognitive decline started becoming part of the conversation whenever I started learning more and more. And it turns out that saturated fats and cholesterol causes a lot of plaques. And those plaques are only are not exclusive to our hearts, but they also include our brains. And I don't want to get too much into the weeds, um, but I'll just leave it at that for now and see where we take it. Nice. Thanks. What do you think, Dr. Park? I, I, you want I to totally, build on I totally, that? Yeah. Well, first of all, I totally relate to like the, I mean, I kind of feel like I was kind of ignorant, I guess, of, of nutrition in many respects. And it's and it's funny because, you know, coming from the pharmaceutical, you know, R&D standpoint, you know, doing it for 15, 16 years, you know, it's like, when did we ever hear about nutrition? You know, it's like, <laughs> uh, we never did. Um, and we always said, well, there's got to be a drug for it, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, we're going to make a drug, you know, but uh, but yeah, you know, especially like I, I always looked at food, like, like someone was saying, like just kind of like a, a way to uh, uh, it, it's kind of like just raw fuel, yeah. you know, um, it's it's it keeps me going, um, you know, maybe some complex carbohydrates. I remember like we had this like when I used to swim competitively, we used to have this mix called carboplex i bet it's probably totally debunked by now <laughs> but like you know it's just like it was like this large you know long you know complex branched you know uh, carbohydrates you know that that you know mm -hmm. we, we mix into our orange juice and stuff like that i'm like okay you know but that's how i looked at nutrition i didn't look at it as far as wow this can be disease prevention yeah that's this can be risk reduction for disease it affects disease states you know yeah so that's a big deal. Yeah. So right around that time, Ed, you said 2015-ish, you know, you're hitting your 40s, you're experiencing some of your own health challenges, reflecting on your own diet. Um, yeah. Right around then, I think this uh, this MIND diet study came out. Um, yeah. What did it tell us and how does it inform moving forward what we should eat and what we shouldn't eat? Yeah, yeah. So in 2015, there were two studies that came out simultaneously, and they were done by researchers at Rush University Medical Center, which is in the Chicago area. Some people may have not heard of it, but it is arguably the number one research institution for nutrition and long-term brain health. It's not a country. frat house, Rush University. So, it sounds I like know, this. it's not a frat yeah. house. It's not. It's not. <laughs> so, so Rush, uh, they came out with this study. Uh, Martha Claire Morris was the lead author on both. She's big pioneer in that area. And what they did is they said, you know what, we we realized that kind of like what Sonia was saying earlier, it's like, you know, it's kind of common sense in the sense that there's a lot of things that we shouldn't be doing probably. And a lot of foods that we could probably eat that are beneficial for the brain. And the idea here is that there's a lot of work that's been done in cardiovascular health about how to eat healthy and a lot in hypertension and stroke and how to eat healthy and diabetes and how to eat healthy, but not much had been done yet about the brain, how to eat mm. healthy for the brain. So they 
what they did is they said, okay, we're going to take, they did a ton of research and I'm going to probably like, you know, completely, utterly slaughter this here, but let's just go with it. So, you know, they, they did a ton of research and they said, okay, at the end of the day, there are two dietary patterns. One is the Mediterranean diet, which people have heard much of. And the other is called the DASH diet, which is a hypertension diet. And they mashed those two together and they called it the Mediterranean DASH intervention for neurodegenerative delay. It's the MIND mm. diet. And what it, it, what it was, it was, it's kind of a mash of those two types of dietary patterns. And they focused on some specific foods that came also from previous research that they, that they felt from a biological mechanism standpoint will help the brain, right? So they, they focused on 10 foods you should eat and five foods you shouldn't eat or five types of foods you should avoid or limit. So the 10 foods are, um, are leafy green vegetables, dark green, leafy green vegetables. Second is berries. So they kind of focused in there on berries, not just fruits, but, just, but specifically berries, olive oil, cold water fish, and uh, so legumes, right? So beans, and uh, they had a classification for other vegetables. So those are other colorful vegetables, right? And then that we'll, we'll you can speak a little bit more about what they bring in later as far as why they just added, made them a separate category from the green leafies. And then also um, I'll say wine. But since then, they've kind of tempered a little bit since we've learned a little bit more about genetics. But wine at the, at the time, they said one serving a day. And what am I missing? Am I like seven now? So I got to... Not seven. I think co coffee's so, got to be so, on there, right? Espresso? So coffee, coffee was not... Um, and gels, uh, right? The gel, so, like uh, take three gels, gels per... Yeah, energy gels. Three Absolutely. per hour Absolutely. with so, caffeine. Um, okay. So uh, what, I, about yeah. whole, what about whole grains? Thank you so much. Whole grains. So I'm there just missing go. these very staple, standard, very common sense of whole grains and nuts and poultry, right? There we go. So poultry to moderate extent, right? And uh, And the foods you should limit are that are red meat, sweets, particularly pastries, butter slash margarine, fried foods, and cheese. So they, they kind of divided those up and said, okay, let's follow a thousand people over five years and let's see how they eat, you know, and let's, let's classify them as really good at the mind diet that we've just kind of invented here or really bad at it. Um, mm. And uh, break them all up into groups like that. And then Let's see what happens by the end of five years and which ones have more diagnoses of Alzheimer's or less. And the MIND diet group ended up having over 50% less diagnoses of Alzheimer's. So that's kind of like the way you say that in, in, in science is that you've reduced risk by 50%, 53% in that case. And that was a huge number. That's a huge number. It's got to be better than most of those drugs that you yeah. made in the uh, pharmaceutical so, yeah. industry, I would, <laughs> yeah. I would think. Man. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's a huge number. And uh, when it came, and they did the same type of study for Parkinson's later on, a couple of years later, and they showed that it was four, over 40% reduction in risk of, of Parkinsonian symptoms. And they also did it with respect to just cognitive decline, not looking at the diseases and being diagnosed mm -hmm. or not diagnosed, but just looking at cognitive decline. So they did tons of these tests, cognitive tests, and they, and they saw that over that time period, people who were really good at the mind diet, basically their brains were like eight years younger in age compared to their peers, right? That's pretty neat, you know? I mean, aside from becoming like a baby again and be having the super youthful brain where we just don't know what's going on, right? <laughs> we want to have a younger brain uh, because uh, it's, it's we can get into brain aging later, but, you know, it's much more uh, uh, yeah. desirable to have that, you know, better uh, cognitive ability, so. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think so it's these uh, advanced glycation and 
products, these mm. AGEs that happen from how you're cooking food and these high heat methods of cooking food. And I did see a study where it did talk about chicken having a high amount of AGEs, but simply because of the way that people eat chicken, like people will barbecue their chicken under high heat and they'll have like chicken thighs or or chicken, you know, breasts. So those actually have a lot of those AGEs. So looking up how, you know, online, how you can reduce eating these products could be an actionable takeaway. Yeah. Great point. And I, I, another shout out, great resource, a book called the brain health kitchen. This is by another kind of ally in, in this field, uh, Dr. Annie Fenn, MD. And uh, re- really it's a, it's a cookbook. That's also a textbook. I love textbooks. I'm getting better at the cookbook part here, but boy, is it good. And it's uh, it's beautiful. And she talks, uh, we did a previous episode with Annie. Um, she talked about those AGEs, you know, and more or less my mm-hmm. understanding is like, anytime you're like frying something and you get the, like the real tasty little crispy part that just <laughs> tastes so good. Like that is the exact thing that, you know, is really bad for you. Yeah, that's that's like the common thing in the mind diet. They're like, everybody's like, "Can I can I fry my fish?" <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, but yeah, I mean that that that's you know that sort of research was coming out at the time. You know, I was figuring a lot of things out and realized you know light bulb went off in my head because of all the changes that I made in in my diet and nutrition. And uh, and it, I I said, wow, nutrition actually does something. You know, yeah, it makes a huge difference. So uh, that's when the uh, kind of idea of, of neuro reserve came about. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, and then moving in the direction, basically going in the direction of attacking these diseases from a preventive nutrition standpoint yeah, uh, became like a, a really, uh, and, and it was a way almost kind of like psychologically, cathartically, I don't know, you know, for me to address what happened in my own family, right? And to yeah. say, hey, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to, uh, all this stuff doesn't happen for nothing. Yeah, you know? yeah. So we, we do, we do it. You know, we, we respond to our lives and we could respond positively or negatively and we can do something about it or we can, you know, not, or we can do something almost contrary. Right. But, you know, I said, you know, I'm going to do something about this. So, yeah. 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 I really appreciate that, Dr. Park. And I, I mean, going back in the story, like it just, I, I feel it's sad that as a kid, you, you had to feel the shame around stuff, you know, like we all, we all have felt shame. It's part of the human experience. And especially as, as a teenager, you know, the things that, that shame us, sometimes we look back and, and it's like, oh, you know, <laughs> that really wasn't a big deal. But, but the fact that you've been able to move into a position of power where you, you're making a huge difference. So it's, it's awesome. So what about um, these, uh, in addition to nutrition, we've got these other five pillars of, of brain health. What are these pillars? Who defined them? Uh, what should we know about that? Oh, yeah. So the Cleveland Clinic came out with the a, a concept called the six pillars, right? And mm-hmm. one of them is diet and nutrition, which which we, we've discussed a little bit here, right? And you're talking about the other five. And these six pillars of brain health are, are things that people should really keep track of from the standpoint of reducing risk for, for cognitive decline and, and disease later. And it's a big deal because, you know, a lot of people don't think about taking care of their brains like they do their heart, like they do their their skin, right? We want to look good. All it's, you know, our, you know, things like that, you know, our muscles, you know, so taking care of the brain is important. So they create this framework. Diet nutrition is one. Exercise is second one. So exercise is big. And there's a lot, a lot of research on that in that area, uh, as far as being neuroprotective. And sorry, uh, can I interrupt here? Um, When it comes to exercise, the CDC recommends, this is just for every person, 150 minutes of moderate exercise, which is basically brisk walking 
and as little as 10 minutes at a time. But when it comes to brain health and physical activity, is the recommendation more than that? Or is that still the recommendation? Uh, you know, like there's a there's a study that just came out just last year by a research group at Wake Forest University. And, uh, and you know, obviously we're not at the research stage we're at. We're not at the point where we're so mature that we can start to like um, uh, set recommendations, right? Mm-hmm. Specifically for brain health. But what they did is they did a study where they were looking at even 120 minutes a week. Mm-hmm. exercise basically. So it's not really that much. Like and it's, car- and it was aer- yeah. aerobic exercise. Yeah, it's not much. Yeah. And this is this is people who are older. So a lot of the studies that are being done nowadays for exercise and brain health are typically done with people who are older. And that's obviously because they're going into a risk phase, if you will. They go, you know, their age just becomes a risk, you know, for cognitive impairment. So uh so 120 minutes can't say that's a recommendation, but we know that helps. So it's even less than what the CDC is saying. Okay, great. Uh, and You know, but one cool thing is that, you know, also what they're doing is they're trying to understand how exercise mechanistically affects brain performance, right? So there are studies done in younger people where they say, okay, do these tasks. We want you to try and memorize these basic things. And then right after that, I want you to exercise for 35 minutes. And then for another group, they might say, you wait and exercise four hours later, right? And the interesting thing is, Exercise helps to lock in what you've learned prior to the exercise in the day. It's 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 mm. cool stuff, you know. But uh, you know, exercise releases so, releases so many of these neurotransmitters that help with memory formation. That you know, if you so like, maybe that's the thing to do. Everybody should study in the morning, <laughs> work out yeah. at noon. I don't know what you know. Did but, that all? Did they look at in that same study, Doctor Park? Exercise first, and then let's say do a cognitive test or something. I, I know, I know for me after I exercise, man, I just feel so much more clarity, uh, so much more calm, uh, focus. Um, I think that's something a lot of people can relate to. Do you know if that study looked at that at all? No, they didn't actually, you know, they were looking actually at the afterwards. I, 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 and, uh, and it makes perfect sense, you know, to that. I mean, just as a baseline, as a very baseline exercise in the morning, yeah, you know, I know there have been studies that show exercise in the morning is more beneficial than exercise at night mm-hmm. for brain health. Yep. Now, in the context of when the learning takes place, I don't, I, you know, there's probably there's probably stuff out there, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm more sure. of a nutrition guy. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we got nutrition, we got exercise, exercise form, or what, are, yeah. what are the other ones? Uh, yeah. Okay. The third one would be sleep, you know, good sleep habits. The third would be making sure that you maintain cognitive stimulation so that you're learning um, Mm -hmm. throughout your life and that you maintain that level of curiosity and exploring that curiosity uh, to see and learn new things. The next would be relationships, making sure that you maintain connections with other people. So, you know, kind of almost thinking of ourselves like a web, you know, like we have Mm -hmm. many of those connections and those connections are strong. And then finally, it's uh, um, another, uh, the fifth, the sixth one would be um, maintaining other health areas, making sure you're okay or doing good in two specific areas, cardiovascular health and also metabolic or, or diabetes health, basically. Mm. So if you can avoid um, any sort of heart disease, if you can avoid or minimize diabetes, then you're doing very a lot of good for your brain. And there's a really good reasons why, but, uh, you know, that's a, we can get into that if, if we need to or if you yeah, want yeah. to. Double yeah, click on so. sleep. Sonia, um, you're a pro athlete. You got a podcast. You're writing. You also have two kids, three and under. 
sleep. How do you, how do you sleep? Like, what do you, you got a lot going on, especially with little kids, you know, those of us who've been through that, like it's, it's intense. How do you optimize sleep? And what do you recommend for, you know, to your health and wellness clients in that area? So first of all, with sleep, it's always been something that has been my number one priority. So whenever you hear these different pillars for brain health, and these sound very similar to the six pillars of lifestyle medicine, you have to look at your actions and ask yourself, what am I currently prioritizing? So for me, sleep has always been one of those things minus doing the odd 24 hour race. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to children, having children, there's a lot of things that are out of your control and a lot of things that can be incredibly frustrating because they are out of your control. For us, sleep training our kids early was really important and being consistent with that training has allowed us to be actually get really good sleep. We wake up earlier than we want to wake up, but you can control your bedtime in most cases. So making sure that you go to bed early, you have good hygiene around your devices. Like if you have a hard time putting your device down, which like last night, I didn't put my device down as early as I like that costs you sleep and you can't improve at something that you don't measure. So without getting obsessed with the numbers around sleep, making sure that you have some sort of way of tracking it. If you don't want to wear a device, even writing down in a spreadsheet, what time you woke up and what time you went to bed and sleep to prioritize it, that might mean that you have to give something up. That might mean that you don't watch that second episode on Netflix. That might mean that you don't stay out late with your friends. That might mean that you don't drink as much alcohol as often. So being aware of what you're prioritizing and then taking those actions to make sure that they are actually a priority. Mm, good stuff. How about those other six pillars? We list number two, six pillars of lifestyle medicine. Do you, uh, do you recall those or even a yeah. few of those? Yeah. So um, they're very similar to what Dr. Park just mentioned. It's nutrition, eating a predominantly plant-based diet, physical activity, stress management, restorative sleep, social connections, and avoidance of risky substances such as smoking and alcohol. And just as a quick resource for people listening, there are actually doctors who are lifestyle medicine physicians that you can find mm. at the American College of Lifestyle Medicine who not only will be treating diseases from a prescriptive um, of pills standpoint, but they also might work with you to help you change your behavior. And as a health coach, that's also what I do is I help people change their behavior. So yeah, that's a great resource on American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And I think that that is because Dr. Park, I know that you've mentioned the blue zones before and behaviors that are you know, done in the blue zones where people live healthily to a hundred and, and older with reduction in a lot of these lifestyle diseases. So yeah, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and these six pillars help us with not only brain health, not only cardiovascular health, but many types of health and longevity. I was at a, I was at a conference at the American Academy of Neurology, and I saw this whole section there. It's kind of growing. It's small, but it's growing a, a whole kind of like it was it was a session by the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. So it's kind of you know it's it's kind of making its way into the mainstream, you know, which is a good thing. Yeah. 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 Wow. Good stuff. So, so we got, we got these pillars, both of those lists almost line up. Maybe we should just make it seven and add don't smoke, <laughs> uh, which seems like so, yeah. maybe, maybe yeah. they just assume that everyone already knew that. Um, what about we, we all hear whether it's especially the podcast world, but also in the news or whatever, you know, these, these kind of more, you know, I don't know if I call them fads or what, but like these things that, you know, come across our our radar, you know, the, the cold therapy, um, heat therapy, or like, you know, go in the sauna for five minutes and then the cold tub for five minutes and back and forth or, or, you know, the, uh, the laser light therapy, you know, these low level lasers where you kind of get into, 
you know, either a, I've seen two things. One of them looks like, you know, in the fifties, like ladies would go into the hair salon and they'd put that thing <laughs> over their head. Like I've never actually done it, but and it would uh, make you know, this really loud noise. That always, yeah. What me. the hell is that thing? So anyway, it like sucks your brain out or something, but <laughs> now they have a thing where you're like, it looks just like that. And it like shoots lasers into your, your head. And then they have a full body one that looks like a tanning bed that you kind of get in and close it. And I've been in these things that, you know, they call it laser therapy and, I don't know. It felt great. Like I, I and I don't know if it's just because I kind of got to take a nap and like do some meditation or <laughs> or what. But, you know, the these more these things that are on the periphery, maybe they haven't been studied yet. What do you either or both of you? What are these things? Should we try? I, I like trying. Personally, I think, you know, it's kind of like as an athlete, you do a bunch of little things and it adds up to, you know, pretty soon you got a five or 10% difference. And, you know, if I'm trying to help my dad slow his cognitive decline, I'm like, you know, we'll help him do 10, five, 10 little things. And if they add up to a bit, then it's good. Um, and sometimes you don't know, but uh, anyway, it, do either of you recommend or not recommend any of these, you know, sort of that sort of thing? It's, it's funny. The concept of cold therapy uh, has been coming to my attention more and more, you know, and I was just, um, I was just thinking like recently, like maybe I should always just like, kind of like right before when, like, when I wake up, I should take a cold shower, you know, or something like mm -hmm. that. You know, I don't know what, I don't know the the, the mechanism biology or the science. Right. But the, the, the concept of cold therapy is really safe <laughs> and never gets old in the sense of kind of almost turning on a lot of your body processes, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and basically putting you in a state where like, okay, you're, you're, you're able to do better execute, you know, from a cognitive standpoint. So I've been kind of learning a little bit more or just hearing more about it, you know, from a cognitive standpoint, right? Yeah. I'm sure there are many other benefits, but from a cognitive standpoint, turning on a lot of systems, right. To, to help you with your, with, with memory, learning, things like that, you know, and the things that I've been hearing about how you can do it is, you can, you know, take your warm shower if you want, but at the very end of your shower, blast yourself with cold water, you know, mm -hmm. you know, just to wake yourself up. And it's and safe in the sense that it's not like heat therapy. It's not like you're going to burn yourself, right? You are going to have, you can, oh, it never gets old. You can always do cold and it's going to be okay for your body. I mean, obviously not hypothermia is not good, right? But, you know, a, a cold blast will always be okay. I think, and I heard, um, that's why, um, Oh, special forces, right? They, they, that's one of the ways they, they always keep their people is they're, they're cold, right? They're throwing them in the ocean, stuff like that over and over again, right? I, I can't speak directly to it, but there are the, the concept of cold therapy, I think, makes some sense in the sense that it alerts your entire body. When I was younger, you know, I swam competitively at USS, I would, I mean, we'd go out there, it'd be 15 degrees outside and we swam in an outdoor pool. It was ridiculous in the winter, you know, four mm -hmm. in the morning. We run outside from the locker room. We jump in the water, just like, oh, it was like, you know, massive cold. I mean, maybe, uh, you know, it's, I'm thinking back on it now, you know, that's like, wow, that's exactly what a lot of people are starting to say, you know, yeah, yeah. Is, is that blast of cold in the morning when you first wake up. Reset um, the nervous system, huh? Well, just, what about you, Sonny? Are you, you doing yeah. any of this stuff or recommending, exploring, trying any of these, you know, less mainstream things? I mean, I think experimentation and curiosity is important, but I think going back to these six pillars of lifestyle medicine or these six pillars of brain health, are you actually doing those things? And I mm -hmm. think that a lot of times people will look for this hack. I'll do a cold plunge or I'll take this, 
you know, extra thing. And then I don't have to do all of the, yeah. the harder things, which require, you know, eating healthily and going to bed earlier and taking care of your relationships. Like that is hard work. And a lot yeah. of us don't want to put in the effort. We'd rather just take a cold shower as uncomfortable as that is. In terms of the science behind those things, I don't know is the answer. I think that if you're doing all of these other things on these six pillars well, and you feel good about those things, and then you start doing some of these other things like cold plunges or whatever, and that makes you feel really good about yourself or that helps you relax. Like Travis, you said you felt great after you did the little laser thingy on your head. Like if you feel good, then do it because as long as it's not harmful, because there is a lot of interesting science around expectations and how, Mm. how we view something will will impact us can actually change your psychology and your physiology. And we think of things like the placebo effect and even drugs with, or even like sugar pills with an open placebo label label saying that, Hey, you can buy this, but this is a placebo. People will still experience positive benefits from that. So whether, you know, like Dr. Park was saying, we want to make sure we're not doing things that are harming us, but taking care of your foundation first, and then seeing how these other things impact you. And if you feel better after there could be benefits to that. Yeah. I like it, Sonia. I, whenever I hear that word hack, I'm like, man, I, I like, I don't, I, I don't yeah. like it. I, I always tell like my endurance coaching clients, you know, okay, let's get your sleep set. Let's get that diet set. Let's get your mindset set. And that, that didn't sound great, but uh, then let's go to your, your training. And, and once you, once those things are good and consistent, then maybe we, you know, go up into like, you know, let's find a lighter part on your bike or let's, uh, you know, let's do some very specialized workouts, but like start with the basics. And, and sometimes when people try to, you get so into all these hacks, it's increasing stress, right? Cause now you have 18 hacks you got to do every day that (laughs) crunches into your schedule. And like, instead of sleeping, you're, you're doing all this other shit. Um, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, and, and take maybe a... taking things out. Like, what do you? What can you take away from your life? Like you said, Sonia, to sleep more or whatever. Go ahead. Yeah, and I think that it comes down to the philosophy around hard work because mm. all of those things that I mentioned are a lot of work, and people can be averse to the idea of hard work. The idea of a hack is awesome because it's this quick little thing that's not very much work that I have to do. So it's changing our relationship with how we view work and how doing hard work is actually meaningful to us. And there's health benefits and life benefits of being proud of your efforts and proud of the person that you're becoming. Yeah. It's about that durability of what we're building, you know? Yeah. So good. Yeah. So yeah, we can optimize, I guess, but we'll get the basics down and then we can work on the optimizations like the lasers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, but, so, actually, so for the lasers, really oh, go quick, ahead, Dr. Park, I, yeah. I think I think there is stuff for that, actually, yeah. I, I, you know, and, you know, it's funny that you sent me this paper on red light therapy. And yeah, it's it's you know, the impact you could have on the immune system. I mean, obviously, there has to be a lot more that has to be done. But, you know, not, you know, Alzheimer's and a lot of other diseases are driven by, you know, inflammation. And, and um, so and red light can penetrate deep into the body as opposed to, say, UV light, which is like. Can't yep. go that far, but burns you, right? Yeah. So, um, you know that sort of thing. So, yeah. Anyway. No, yeah, that's good. And I mean, the the thing is, like, sometimes stuff has to build momentum before there are big studies on it. So, you know, sometimes something yeah. is legit, even if we don't know it's legit yet. One more point on the on the diabetes, blood sugar, that kind of stuff, Doctor Park. The connection between that and cognitive decline, and and maybe like a final. How do we inspire people if if they you know they have a family history of diabetes or they're they're 
you know, A1C levels or, you know, other things are showing that maybe they're moving in, in the wrong direction. How can we inspire like a real lifestyle change? So, yeah, first on the connection with di- diabetes and, and, and brain health. Uh, so, so the brain uses 20 to 30% of the energy in our bodies, but it only weighs 2 to 3% of our body weight, right? It punches way above its weight on energy usage. And so it's it's very hungry. And, uh, and you know, diet, type 2 diabetes um, is when the body actually starts to have very, very, you know, a lot of difficulty in processing sugar and mm. bringing sugar in. And, uh, and obviously, then it starts to circulate in the blood because it can't get into the cells. And that's when you have a high A1C, right? So, uh, so for the brain, same thing happens, same thing's happening there. They really need sugar. They really need glucose. The brain needs a lot of glucose to operate for the energy it needs. And if they're having trouble now because of the diabetes that's building up of being able to process energy, all of a sudden your brain's running on what they call a bioenergetic crisis. That means that it's just not getting enough fuel. And mm. at some point, at some point that not getting enough fuel is not just like a car that's stalled. It also means it starts to break down. So that, that's the connection between diabetes and, and brain health. And so the, the thing about getting people to do more about it is that in just in 2015 through 2018, there were a lot of great studies, a couple that we mentioned earlier, but another wonderful, huge study that's really groundbreaking where they actually, you know, they tracked people for two years and they, they made them exercise, they made them eat better, they made them watch their cardiovascular risk, all those kind of like six pillars, right? They made sure they were cognitively stimulated and it made a difference. Right. So it's real. Uh, it could, it could make a real difference for people and people should really let that sink in and say, wow, you know, I can do something about it. It's not just like locked into my genetics. So that's inspirational. I think for a lot of people, hopefully yeah, that they can do something about it. You can really do something about it. I think like 40 to 60% of uh, neurodegenerative disease is has comes down to lifestyle at least. Yeah. At least. You know, wow. Listen, and, 40 to 60%. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, you know, especially, yeah. I think that's really inspiring for you know, folks who the, there's a family history of cognitive decline, because man, it's scary as hell. Ed, when you were saying you're going to the neurologist, you know, every week, like, oh, my fingernail hurts, you know, do I have Alzheimer's or whatever? I mean, that's a common experience. And just that fact, 40 to 60%, that's huge. Sonia, yeah. what else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, type 2 diabetes is reversible with diet and lifestyle. And some of these lifestyle diseases are big problems. And Travis, like you said, bad things happen to good people. Sometimes life is unfair, but being aware, having the education around what you can do and realizing that some of these things are reversible, like type two diabetes is reversible. Heart disease is reversible. And even some of these issues with that AG, with these AGEs about this, the, the sirtuin protein suppression, like you can actually reduce and reverse some of this AGE damage. So keeping that in mind and not every, not all is lost. And there's a lot of like, I think coming back to autonomy and focusing on the things that you can do instead of looking at all these bad things happening, looking at what you can, what healthy things you can add in diet and lifestyle change is hard. Like that's why health coaches exist. It's, and that's why a lot of people struggle to make new year's resolutions and to keep them. It's hard to make changes. So understanding yourself, having a good relationship with how you operate and being able to make changes based on that can be really helpful whenever you want to change your lifestyle to prevent and reverse diseases. Yeah, I agree. It is hard. And and it's also, I mean, I like to tell people it doesn't have to be black and white, like, you know, the harm reduction model, make it as, as better 
as you can. And honestly, in the and I've talked with you about this, Anya. Like for me and my family personally, the the healthy eating journey. You know, we're doing our best. And and one of the sto- I don't know if it's just a story in my head or if it's real life, but it's like we're busy. You know, there there's soccer, there's school, there's driving around. There, mm-hmm. you know, there's all this stuff, and it, and it does it makes it more challenging to be intentional. And I'm kind of working through how to be more intentional with it, you know? Yeah. And it's hard to prioritize. I mean, yeah. if you if you said diet and lifestyle is my number one priority, then that would mean that you do less things in your life. But then does that even make sense? Like we can't just all sit down in our in our house and just do all of these things perfectly. It's not about being perfect. It's about trending in the right direction. Yep. Yeah. Especially when you have the kids like clamoring for like In-N-Out Burger and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. So, and, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was a little late getting on because my, my we have a one-year-old. She was like trying to break her way into this room. You know, I'm like, oh, hold on. <laughs> you guys you know, are, lots of priorities. So. Yeah, you guys are both yeah. in that phase. Oh, man, <laughs> I know my kids at 10 and 12 now, you know, at some point, like they, they spend a lot of time out of the house and you can't control everything that goes into their mouths. Um yeah. So a uh, little more about Neuro Reserve, Dr. Park. What what should we know ab- about your company and, and you know, that product? Like, what's what's the idea? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it gets pretty much right down to what we just spoke about. You know, when I when I found a Neuro Reserve, I wanted to, to create a nutritional products to help people reduce their risk. So really with an eye on prevention and really with an eye on risk reduction, uh, in the long term, not just uh, not just the short term, but 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 uh, but in the, for the long term. And so when I got together with a lot of these, you know, got some medical advisors together, and and some from Rush, you know, from Cleveland Clinic, and uh, we we said, wow, all of them said the same thing. They're like, it is so hard. We're telling our our patients and the family members of the patients with cognitive uh, diseases or decline to pay attention to their diet, exercise, all these things, and it's really hard. They're like, so we get it, you know, we're going to, so we want to create something that can be a nutritional tool that's not meant to replace a good diet, you know, not meant to, you know, kind of be the cheat or the hack, right? But more so just as as something that can help people achieve the nutritional profile as the mind diet. And so when we also looked at what are we going to make, what are we going to, for long-term brain health, we kept going back to the mind diet. That's where the best evidence is and diets like it. And we said, okay, let's take this whole diet approach. We're going to take the mind diet and break down all the foods within and break down all the nutrients that are within those food groups that are relevant to brain health. And then we landed at 17 nutrients that can be kind of encapsulated, practically speaking. And, uh, and we called that product Relevate. And so it's a, it's just, it's a regimen each day of, uh, at one, one, like soft gel and and, and two uh, capsules and and it's meant to help people close those gaps from the standard American diet. So, when, yeah. so every time we looked at nutrients, we said to ourselves, "What's the difference between the average person's intake in North America and and people's intake who are from these like blue zones who are very high achievers, right? Yep. Uh, when it comes to brain health in the long run, and we found those seventeen, and we said, you know what, this is how we can help people get to that mind or get closer." You know, as people people work on their diet, they work on their exercise, they work on their sleep and all those other things. It becomes a part of that tool set. Yeah, yeah. People can use. Thanks. Yeah, we've been the Macy family's been taking that stuff. I like it. Um, Sonia, how how about you with uh as far as supplements go, whether that's 
as an athlete, as uh, very recently you were pregnant and postpartum, and also as uh, as a woman, uh, you know, whether it's related to the menstrual cycle, um, what are what are you doing, you know, to support yourself? Uh, I take a, a multivitamin every day. There's a certain multivitamin brand that I really like, Prevenix, um, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of research behind it being the highest quality, most absorbable product. But so yeah, I take a multivitamin. I occasionally take vitamin B12 as a plant-based person that I don't get that from from food unless I'm eating fortified foods, which I tend to do with soy milk. And then I take a DHA, an algae-based DHA EPA supplement. And uh, I'm trying to think what else. And vitamin D. But I think something important to to note about supplements is that some people are hesitant to take them and they think, well, I should just be able to get everything from my diet. And I used to be that person that believed that. But then I learned that, well, a lot of the way that we grow our food now, the soil is not as rich as it used to be. And you might not Mm. be getting the same amount of nutrients and minerals from the food that you think that you're getting. So a supplement is a good addition to add to an already healthy diet. Yeah. Oh, nice. And, and how about in and around pregnancy? Did you, um, you know, were you, were you, I don't know, they have these like pregnancy vitamins or something. Uh, yeah, I took a, a prenatal vitamin. There's yeah. they, those tend to have more folate in them. And then there's a little bit different considerations in terms of, uh, like things like iodine and extra nutrients and minerals that you need to add if you eat plant-based and you're pregnant and or breastfeeding. Yep. But it's funny because in pregnancy, a lot of the recommendations tell you to avoid eating certain foods and avoid doing certain things. And the way that I was already eating, I, I didn't have to change anything, Mm. but yeah, just being aware of the choices that you're making and being aware of what you need, depending on how you eat is is super key. And there's a lot of great supplements out there to help. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is all good stuff. I'm, I'm learning from both of you. I'm finding inspiration again, like I said, personally for me, just on round the clock diet and trying to be more, um, more intentional, um, final concluders for either of you. Oh, I just say, learn about how you can take care of your brain health. This is uh it's you, you can in fact do something about it. Uh, it's, it's so important. It is so, so important and easy to forget about because we can't see our brains. All right. We can't see them. Like we can see our arms and legs and things like that. You know, it's not like they're tracking a one C's with us and things like that, you know, for brain health, although maybe in the future, they will be able to do that, but not now. So it's easy to deprioritize. So really take it up a notch and, uh, and follow the six pillars that we were talking about and, yep. uh, and nutrition exercises are big levers. Pull those start with those sleep. Also pull, pull that, pull those levers hard. And, and you could, you could just be doing an amazing thing for yourself, your family. And, you know, I think about your father, uh, Mark Travis and, uh, and, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I was thinking about it before this podcast and I thought to myself, you know, who knows, you know, maybe, uh, you, I don't know if you've ever been told this before, but may, maybe your, your your father's healthy habits as far as exercise, things like that, staved it off in 10 years, right? May, maybe, maybe it would have been a lot earlier, you yeah. know? So you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what the impact is directly, right? When we're doing these things, but when you follow these habits, you're doing something. And, you know, so you gotta, it, you could be, you could be staving things off a lot longer than you think. So. Yeah, the downstream impact. It's like parenting, mm-hmm. you know, you, you like again back to the parenting is hard work and sometimes maybe the impacts are downstream. <laughs> so on your final thoughts from you? I'm just grateful for both of you for all the awareness around brain health. I, I've learned a lot from both of you and I'm so sorry that you've had to endure the the challenges in your families that you've had to endure. But just taking it one step further and just summarizing something that you both said is 
do something. Doing nothing mm. is also a decision. Doing nothing is also a decision. So do something. It, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be changing everything all at once, but just start moving in that direction and, and lead by example and great things will happen. Yeah, it's great. Huge thanks to you both, uh, Sonia and Dr. Park. Um, really appreciate it. I, I think uh, life is a team sport and I am very thankful that uh, both of you are part of my team. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that episode and you learned a lot about brain health and how you can take small steps to improve. I so appreciate you listening to the show as I know there are many podcasts out there. I subscribe personally to a lot of podcasts. And as always, I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. I'll see you right back here next week. Bye.